0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Unscholared Health Podcast. Joining me again today for Season 2 is Sam Jarman. Hey, Sam.
1: We have seasons? Yes. Okay. <laughs> what season is it? Like, I know you gave it a number, but does it correspond with, like, an actual season? Like, winter? No, not seasonal, as in
0: the environment. Just seasons. It's all based on feelings, Sam. Okay. No. Okay. I Actually, pre- we're, we're, Thank breaking you. You. we're breaking the seasons into themes. Okay. So theme one for Season 1 was based on me alluding to certain facts and pieces of information. Okay. And our guests coming on to allude to those facts. So okay. So it's more patient education. Sure. And season two is actually more about highlighting others. Okay. So, so far in season two, it's been highlighting other professionals and why they do what they do. Sure.
1: Oh, I think I actually accidentally fall into that this time. You did. <laughs> but it's, I didn't, I had no intention. You didn't tell me about the theme. No, I didn't. Okay. It just You, you reached out and yeah. it's fit. So it's okay. perfect. Cool, so what brings you with us again today? So what I've done uh, is obviously most visible on YouTube. Um, There's other ways in which I packaged it which really don't matter for this. But essentially what I did is because I have a major, major beef with the profession and I've alluded to it before and I've also explicitly said it, but the knowledge claims of the profession to me are difficult to swallow and in a non-polite way, just absolutely bullshit, right? the and then what will happen is you'll say it's bullshit and then somebody will tell you that well it's only because you don't understand the profession you don't really get osteopathy and I'm like ah I think I might and part of the reason I think I might is because what I tend to do is actually refer to primary source I don't pull it out of my ass I don't go to I don't say oh well this is how it happened and this is where I heard it from so it must be true I go to primary source. So within this video series that I've done, which is collectively called the Osteopathic History Project, Mm. where what I've done is I've essentially done what would be considered a textual analysis, which is a historical method or a method of examining historical written work, Mm. right? Whereby there are constraints, there are problems with it, but when you front load the admission of the problems with it, you often are able to deal with them well. One of the problems is that the texts that you're going to use are purposefully selected. So why were they selected? Well, they were selected usually based on the expertise of the individual performing the examination, right? So in this case, I am the constraint because I chose the, the material. Right. You're just honestly admitting that you yeah. selected the material references. So within the scientific field or within the scientific realm, what you're talking about here is a constructivist type method. So it depends on the individual. It depends on previous experience and uh, environment of observation, right? So it is what you would consider <clears throat> in the realm of believing that there are multiple realities. So there's multiple ways to interpret it. So you're using a bit of an interpretive, interpretivist lens. Right? so you have to recognize that the researcher is the limit of the knowledge right it's the interaction between the piece of information or the data and the researcher right so that's a limitation and it is considered good form to share that so usually in written constructivist type work you'll see what's called a reflexivity statement reflexivity statement highlights the pieces of the researcher or the portions of them that are likely to influence the outcome of the work, right? So it's a free admission that other people can look at this information that I've purposefully chosen and come to somewhat different conclusions, right? Which has no, there's no issue with that, right? What that does actually, because of the variation in who looks at it and how they perceive it and how they interpret it, Actually improves the range of possible solutions so that now you have a bigger data set and then you can start to see the, the Connected themes, all right? So I think if I were to summarize that in a more layman's
0: terms, so you're <laughs> also kind of giving like a disclaimer
1: Well, it's not even necessarily a disclaimer. It's just this is how it happened. Yeah, but you're also just allowing
0: for interpretation as
1: well. You're saying that interpretation happened So if somebody disagrees with you then it's like yes, I told you interpretation happened Yes. and it depends on me like, I told you that, Yeah. yeah. what's wrong with you? <laughs> so the, because it's really easy if you disagree with somebody to say, they just don't get it, right? Now, the way that you deal with that is, I use these sources, this is what I did. If you disagree with me, do it based on these sources, as opposed to just saying, I don't get it.
0: Okay, so, but, so yeah. Not just that interpretation happen. We're allowing yeah. for interpretation, but mm-hmm. then sharing the resources yeah. to clarify whatever
1: the disagreement might be, or to further understand mm-hmm. the
0: interpretation at
1: hand. Show your receipts, basically. Yeah. Right. So, in for myself as an individual, the, you know, I, I, because of training I've received, because of the way that I tend to view the world, <clears throat> I prefer to show my receipts. Like this. So you can say I don't get it, mm-hmm. but. I showed you what I took it from. Yeah. So you can either say something based on the resource or you're saying something about me. So, and you're,
0: no, that makes sense. It's kind of like helping distinguish a difference between the two. Yes. Like are are you commenting on the resource itself or me personally? Yes. Okay.
1: So if you're commenting on me personally and it doesn't accurately correspond to reality, then I don't have to listen because you're not talking about me, Mm -hmm. right? And this is one of the ways so we've had a discussion before about different, uh, like the concept of truth, right? And how knowledge is built, mm. right? So there's epistemological or epistemic claims. So I would probably be best described as a post-positivist. So I believe there's a singular reality that can be identified through appropriate experimentation. However, the researcher usually screws it up, mm. right? So the influence of the researcher is, must be taken into consideration because that's the thing that keeps you distant from the objective decontextualized truth. Right. So what I'm saying is I have to contextualize this work. I I am part of the context, but I'm doing my best to pull away from it. So if you want to comment, comment on the fact that I am included in the interpretation. Right. So there's a portion of me that's there, but also it's really generated from the resource itself. So if you're going to say, I don't get it and I don't understand what I read. Well, help me understand. it. Go look at the resource. Right. So within the videos one of the things that I've done with each of the authors, because it's segregated by authors or separated by authors, each of the authors I pulled direct quotes in relation to the constraint package that I utilized. Right. Right. So the constraint package that I utilized to examine how osteopathy has built knowledge and built knowledge claims is the philosophy of science or the terms that would fall under that, the categories, right? So epistemology or theory of knowledge creation, ontology. In science, it is a classification system. For interpreting reality and then axiology or the value or value judgments of the researcher or researchers. Right. So in this case, it would the values would be the writers. And it, when you diffuse it through multiple writers, writing all in a profession, then you can start to make a case that it's the values of the profession. Right? So the, the thing that I did that actually relates to a concept right so the term ontology right in philosophy it refers to the view of reality the study of reality and you have a general bifurcation and the general bifurcation is that some people believe the ideas are the most real thing because they're the only thing you directly experience and other people believe objects are the most real things because they're the things that we both experience although we may interpret it differently we both experience it, right? So yeah. an example would be, you know, to keep it within the profession of osteopathy, an example would be a table, right? A treatment table. Some people will call it a treatment table. Some people will just call it a table. Some people will call it a uh, treatment couch, a plane, right? I don't know any other languages. So there's a lot of other phonemes or a lot of other sounds that would refer to the same thing. So it's re- it's a different interpretation on some level because you can make the argument that the different word is a different interpretation and carries different ideas. However, it's referential to the same obligate reality, right? So you have that bifurcation philosophically, and that bifurcation is actually seen in different epistemologies, right? Different views of reality are how you build knowledge, right? So it's like you need the view of reality first, then you need the method to deal with that view of reality, right? So what I utilized as my action, sorry, to before I do that, ontology in the scientific method or in science and the philosophy of science, is a classification system. So if you have two objects that you know are different and you need to figure out how they express themselves as real, right? You need a classification, you need a category. And in each category, what you are required to do is describe each of these different things of their own merit in relation to it, right? So it can be words, it can be measurements, right? So it can be qualities or quantities, right? Now, when you describe them and you know they're different but they look exactly the same in those those categories, you need another category. Right, so you need often you need to add categories until you identify the category that makes those two things different. Does that make sense? I think so. Okay. Well, it's based on the look. It's it maybe doesn't make as much sense as I hope it will. Right. So instead of continuing on, what else? What I'll say is, if you look at the tundra and the desert, right. So if we look at precipitation. Right, so you know the tundra and the desert are different, correct? Yes. If you look at participation per, per year, the tundra and the desert are the same.
0: Because they're both very dry.
1: Yeah, they tend, they don't have much precipitation and the average measurement is the same. However, if you look at uh, temperature, right, or temperature... So, at night, the Arctic and the tundra could be the same, as far as temperature. temperature. Or sorry, not the Arctic, the tundra sorry. and the desert the desert gets very cold however if you take average daily fluctuation of temperature the desert would look very different right if you look at vegetation they're a little different right there's a there's a little bit more vegetation in the tundra than there is in the desert but they're both sparse right, right. Uh, so you start to see how I need multiple categories to but explain both, both. how they're different yeah and so like using that as an example both
0: probably have I would assume low root not low, very high root systems. Sure. So but again, by adding more categories, we're helping yeah. distinguish the differences.
1: And you can I, and you can do a better job of knowing how they're different. Mm-hmm. Right? So if everything looks the same in all these categories, you have to keep going until you get to the category where they're different because you know they're different. Right? So the my ontology, my classification for system for reality, my classification system to interpret reality for this process is the philosophy of science, which includes my ontology includes ontology. My classification system includes a classification system. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's meta. It's not, it's not over, overextending a bit? No, no, no. because I'm using it, I'm examining it, but to allow you to understand how I'm examining it, how these things express themselves as similar or different, I'm telling you that part of that is the classification of reality, right? So it's... Uh, Maybe it's not the most clear, but it's the best I can do in the moment, right? <laughs> it, it, makes, it makes more sense if you consume the entirety of the project, which is eight videos, uh, six authors, and then the seventh video is multiple authors in the modern day. So these are all historical authors, right? So Dr. Still, uh, Elmer Barber, uh, Charles Hazard, uh, Carl P. McConnell, and his second book with Charles Teal, John Martin, Little John, who I claim reading is like trying to pull teeth from an angry hippopotamus. (laughs) It's just, there's a lot of words. And usually what you'll actually see with Little John becomes very interesting is you're never sure if it was something that Little John wrote or if somebody typed from his lectures. Because there's actually a lot of Little John sources that are lecture notes. So somebody else recording what he said. Well, and I can only reference that slightly,
0: but in my education, we actually did study some history Mm -hmm. and we referenced Little John and those were some of the consistencies we saw as well. Yeah. It was was very, I don't want to use like verbal diarrhea, but it was very wordy in parts. Yeah. To kind of get around a point or again, it it did seem almost transcripted in some
1: sense. So what you'll see with respect to say Little John as as an individual, some people really like Little John, some people don't. So depending on, where you are in relation to that spectrum, or who's talking to you in relation to that spectrum, they'll say certain things about him. What I will say is that the material attributed to him, it's it's interesting because it is definitely typed, right? So when you see the primary source, it's usually single-sided typed pages. Mm. So the books are extra thick, right? So if it was double-sided, so it was actually intended to be a book, Mm. it likely would have ended up being printed on both sides. But it also has the case that it's notes, right? The, on some of them, mm. not on all of them. Some of them are not noted as notes, but were taken from notes from students, mm. right? Or that's something that I'm aware of. And, you know, the accuracy of the historical record with respect to that, questionable. That said, he he's very technical, mm. So very complete and being technical and complete, it doesn't engender positive feelings as far as the story is concerned, or as far as the narrative is concerned. It's like, man, so many words to be accurate. And that is actually a function of being accurate. You need more words to actually be accurate. Right? I, I, you can say something and point in the right direction, right? and you didn't lie, but you weren't accurate. There was information missing. So Little John, the historical material, that, written material that's attributable to him is very accurate. I think as we've
0: discussed before, like more context is better for giving
1: as much information to a student. For accuracy. For accuracy. For accuracy. For fun. Hmm. No. (laughs) For accuracy, not for fun. Yes. Right. For enjoyability, for readability. No. Accurate stuff sucks to read. It's not fun. It takes a long time. And because you have to remember so many details, it sometimes is harder to actually remember. Right. But some people that lights them up and they're like, mm. right. So, but taking direct clips from these historical materials and showing them within the video project and referencing the quotes and then talking about the quotes is essentially how we've built this, right? So in textual analysis, what you're doing is you're examining the text or the multiple texts that have been purposely selected for similar themes, right? So what is the same about these things? So if you're looking at history, you're looking at multiple sources and you're saying, well, what was the connecting stuff? Hmm, right? So in using epistemology, ontology, and axiology as the way that I'm looking for the similar stuff, what I'm looking for is how osteopathic knowledge and knowledge claims have been built over time. How did they view reality? How did they classify reality? How did that Im- impact what they said was correct or true? Right? so once you understand how the knowledge claim was built you can understand its constraints now its constraints can be considered its strengths or can be considered its flaws right so the common thing with osteopathy is that you actually don't see consistent epistemology right so to be fair the concept of epistemology as it stands as it's utilized today or as it's utilized by philosophers in the modern day so it's not that epistemology wasn't used in the past it's just it was solidified at a time where maybe it wouldn't have hit these particular people in a meaningful way that they could use it right that came a little bit later the solidification of the concepts related to the the scientific method primarily through Karl Popper as an individual right so it's not that stuff didn't happen before Karl Popper he just said it and that was after a lot of these authors and even though it was after they probably wouldn't have been able to take it on in their lifespans so Popper was early 1900s you know 1920s 1930s right? Stuff like that. So to be fair, to say that early osteopathic knowledge didn't have a consistent epistemology, didn't have a consistent way to build knowledge, has to be tempered by the fact that what they were doing, they clearly thought was correct, Mm. right? So it's not to necessarily insult anybody. It's to say that this is what's observed. This is what you can see. This is how they did it. And then you can start to understand the constraints of that. So in saying inconsistent epistemology, sometimes they would do stuff that depended entirely on them, their experience, and they would say that this is what it is. This is the thing, right? So they would tell you, uh, many, many of the authors that we examine, look at case reports and say, well, these are the case reports so we can extract that this is the objective truth. Right? Now, case reports as a data collection method depend entirely on the person who wrote it and entirely on the case that it was written about. So that's constructivist evidence. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Right, so it's dependent on on the interactions, right? Well, Well, the interactions and of course the writer. Yes, so it's highly dependent information. So you have to be careful how much you trust that, right? So there may be a thread that it's pointing at, harder to find sometimes, right? So, but then they say, this is the objective truth, right? They make a very certain claim with uncertain information or in uncertain circumstances. You know, the way they talk about distribution of blood in the body. I'm like, well, you didn't have methods to look at where it was in a living person. You might have figured it out in a dead person. So circulation stopped, right? So what you might have been seeing in in an autopsy is where circulation tends to pool after death. It's not how it was distributed necessarily in, in vivo or in life, right? So they were making very certain claims in uncertain circumstances. But to be fair, it was the best evidence that they had at that time. Yeah, but at that time,
0: I'm, like, I'm just paraphrasing again, but yep. they were making Please. the best claims they could at that time. They, the best claims they believed they could. The best claims they believed they could make at that time. Yes. Theoretically.
1: Be careful with theory. <laughs> yeah. So the, this is a personal pet peeve. The term theory is used in two very different ways. There's a technical way to use theory. Do you know what a theory is in a technical sense? Well, I, yeah, but that's why I asked. No, no, no. So yeah. not in technical sense. <laughs> okay. okay, I'm not. I'm not just here to harangue you with information. It's you know. I hope it's a conversation on some level. Well, you're, and let me let me let me explain
0: why I just used the word theory because yep. in, in your own context, it's, you know, they they made this claim, but again, most likely on a, a dead body. Yeah, sure. And not a living body, so it was hard for them to somehow visualize that Mm -hmm. or assess that in the living body so they had to judge it based off one source of information
1: the source that was available that was available yeah yeah Yeah. so there's you're using theory more in the colloquial way so I'll explain the difference Mm and or the difference that I distinguish maybe other people don't agree in a very technical sense a theory is a hypothesis that has been tested right and to test a hypothesis, a hypothesis is a prediction based on previous information. Right? So you're predicting how reality works. Now, when you test that hypothesis, you're supposed to test it in a way that should prove it false. If it doesn't prove it false, you have greater confidence that it is not false. Right? So it's almost more negatively building it. You tried to attack it and it fended off the attack. Right. So it's, it's hard to hit. It's doing a good job of predicting how things work. So a hypothesis that has been attempted to be falsified many times and has not been falsified is a theory. It's as close to the truth as we can get, right? So in the colloquial sense, theory is used in place of hypothesis, right? So conspiracy theories are not theories. They haven't been tested and tr- attempted to be falsified. Conspiracy theories are really hypotheses that have never been tested. <coughs> They're based on available information. Does that make more sense? No, that makes sense. So again. I like that you used the example of
0: a conspiracy theory, yeah. yes, in the colloquial sense of theory, it's an idea or hypothesis maybe that's not being tested or yes. has been tested. Yes. Yeah.
1: So what would what would be the retort is, well, I've collected all this information that has informed me, so I have tested it. Therefore, it's a theory. Like, nope, you haven't tried to falsify it. You have to attack it. You have to try and prove it wrong. To yes. Prove it's correct. Yeah. Ideally. Yeah. So it's, again, remember, it's it seems to work more in a negative sense. You try to prove it wrong and you didn't. Yeah. Right? That doesn't mean you proved it right. It just... You didn't prove it wrong. It holds up. More. Yes. Yeah. It holds up to attack. Mm. Right? The... So you look at the knowledge claims in osteopathy, and it was mostly constructivist. Mm. Right? It was mostly based on the experience. So you look at Dr. Still. I won't tell you... I'm not here to tell you things that are maybes, I'm here to tell you things that I can say, yes, I did, yes, you can, or no, it didn't happen, right? But he also says, I quote no authors but God and experience, right? So God being universal, experience being dependent, right? So you see these mixes of views on reality, right? So he's noting a universal reality with the term God, he's noting the contingent reality with experience, right? So... Dr. Still was informing you based on things that he did and how he interpreted it and telling you that it was objective, right? So there's a degree to which there's objective things that occurred, mm-hmm. but maybe the interpretation was more subjective. So again, mixed, inconsistent epistemologies. And that carries through, that carries through until today. Have you heard the retort that osteo- or science can't measure osteopathy? Yes. That's horseshit. can we just don't like the results right so the challenge is that osteopathy was primarily built on personal experience and personal interpretation of those experiences so there were objective things that happened and consistent things that happened but the interpretation became the problem so it was the knowledge was built more on the constructivist side more on the personal experience side so the claims are that is
0: that not common in other uh, not just in other fields of therapeutics but other areas as well where they just don't like it's almost like they don't want to be challenged so i will degree. say that like so it's not just osteopathy specifically
1: so right? the best i can do is base it off personal experience yeah. and i would broadly predict yes i wouldn't say that osteopathy is unique this way but i would say that i've examined osteopathy this way yes right so i haven't examined the other ones i haven't gone to their primary not sources right,
0: you've personally examined osteopathy
1: yes but. so i reference I reference my own profession. I provide. I continue to engage with my profession, even though I don't want... So this is something that I said, is if I'm going to learn more about osteopathy, I don't want to do it from an osteopathic practitioner because they have their head up their own ass. They're convinced they're right. Right? Now I have historical evidence from osteopathy. So I kind of broke my own claim. I went back to osteopathy to learn about osteopathy, but I use the methods uh, that are broader in the philosophy of science. So I kind of broke my own claim. So instead of me just saying, I'll never learn anything from osteopathy, I'm like, oh fuck, don't say never, right? Don't do that because, well, and even be careful with saying, don't do that. Say, listen, be cautious with saying never, right? So I've learned more about the profession by referencing the profession, but using methods that are broad, that would apply everywhere, right? But yeah, to maybe come back to the question with respect to our other professions like this, I would predict yes. However, I would say that some have done a better job of modifying themselves over time. And there's actually research on that that includes osteopathy. So it's from the Australian context, it's a qualitative paper, it's constructivist in its nature. So it's measuring qualities or it's engaging with qualities and looked at complementary and alternative healthcare practices in the Australian university context and lecturers and how they viewed epistemology and ontology, the osteopathic professionals like constructivism and qualitative research they didn't like objective measures they they didn't like figuring out if it moves better after your treatment they liked focusing on patient experience right whereas the chinese medicine practitioners use biomedical science they would use to quantify what they do right the impact on certain measurements of what they do they use traditional concepts to teach but they use biomedical science to interpret whereas at least in the australian context the the osteopathic professionals liked personal interpretation better. And that seems to hold consistently as a theme. They like constructivist epistemologies. They like individual reality, right? Uh, if you look at how osteopathy attempted to classify reality throughout, what you tend to see is the use of functional anatomy as the interpretive lens. So it, I found a lack of motion here. That means it's this right? I found a lack of motion T1 to T4. That means I expect heart and lung problems. If heart and lung problems are concomitant, they happen at the same time, I'm definitely right, right? So it's like, well, it's a temporal correlation. You haven't tried to falsify it. You went about trying to prove yourself correct with a relationship, right? So the interpretive step of using functional anatomy is trying to prove yourself right, or you can use it that way. Right, it's easier to use it that way. It's harder to use it to prove yourself wrong in the moment, if that makes sense. Right, the because I happen to view that as an interpretive relationship. Right, just because thing A and thing B happen at the same time and in a related piece, set of pieces of anatomy, there's a lot of things that would have to happen for a blow to T1 to T4 to disturb my heart and lung. Mm-hmm. Right, because the heart and lung also have a lot of redundancies. Right, the, there's the sympathetic relationship from T1 to T4 as outflow, but there's also the the relationship to essentially automated networks in the brain. There's automated networks that are much more local, right? So blood flow is locally auto-regulated. There's a lot of other things that have to go wrong or that would have to also go wrong and not work anymore for that to be the thing, right? So it's, if you use functional anatomy to interpret reality, you're more likely proving yourself right than attempting to prove yourself wrong, right? So it's, it tends to be less rigorous, right? So the other thing that you can see that develops, even Dr. Still did this, is there's a utilization of allopathic disease classifications to use, to, so to talk about a thing, the thing that will walk in the door, the problem that will walk in the door, you use the allopathic disease classification, but then what you do is you interpret through functional anatomy. So I'm right, I'm more right than you because I use functional anatomy. I understand reality more than you because I use functional anatomy but they say that there's no value to be found in the allopathic system, but they then use the allopathic disease classification. Now, there is an author, I believe it was Charles Hazard. I may be misquoting the particular author. It could have been Teal, but I think it was Hazard. And I think it was in Hazard's, I can't remember who it was in Hazard's class notes or Hazard's principles of osteopathy. There's a lot of books called principles of osteopathy or principles like practice of osteopathy. Yeah. There's lots of books called that. Or with that title. So Hazard was essentially saying we're using the allopathic disease classifications because they're available. We would prefer to have a classification system generated through our own lens, right? He never did it, and he hoped somebody would do it, and it never happened. We use allopathic disease classifications. As you mentioned that, that's something
0: I and colleagues discussed once as well. Mm-hmm. The exact quote. Yeah. Just because, and as you said, it was what was available mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> so they say, we can't learn anything from allopathic physicians. They suck. Right? So that's the theme of some degree of prejudice against the pre-existing healthcare systems. Like, oh, we can't use anything. They can't teach us anything about osteopathy. It's like, okay, well, maybe they can't. But why are you using their system? You're using their system to classify what you see. Right? So, but then through the evolution of the profession, instead of using functional anatomy and <laughs> disease classifications, people use personal experience now they're like well the patient liked it yeah
0: we, <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes because uh, recently I did a podcast with a physiotherapist right on. that I know and soon I have one with a chiropractor awesome and we're opening up a clinic together in Brampton nice but yeah, they're really intrigued by me because I'm one of the first quote-unquote classically trained osteopaths sure. who've actually approached them to kind of con- compare, contrast, mm-hmm. contradict each other, yep. and um, it kind of falls, in, and that's why I mentioned about other professionals mm-hmm. uh, as well who may be experiencing this. But I think there's a point uh, when it comes to our profession, there's a lot of self involvement of osteopaths with osteopaths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not many, I guess, I don't know if it's, they're not comfortable to, or they're just worried to get into a, a debate to, to go towards other professions. And be careful with people. intent
1: yeah talk talk to what you observe be careful with intent mm-hmm. because it's the intent that really gets you messed up so you're observing something yeah. that they don't talk to other professionals not that they're incapable of it or that no, you know no, why exactly
0: that's not yeah i just i don't see it as often maybe yeah. just in the area that i'm in as well.
1: sure sampling, pro- sampling yeah. problem yeah yeah so. <laughs> well the, it sounds like you're attempting to build a knowledge base with as many pieces of information as you can have you're trying to grow your semantic network
0: yeah, and in, 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 you know, in kind of the education stance, like if I might learn something from them. Or yes. They and which has happened, yeah, learn yeah. something from me, and it kind of just yes, yeah. with a professional network as well. Yep. Okay, like, hey, we we can we can approach the same problem maybe differently, mm-hmm. but we're both approaching the same problem, and we yes. might actually both get results.
1: Yes. Yeah. The the approach the approach has maybe has a different angle, and you bring a contextual angle as an individual practitioner mm-hmm. that has value. If it didn't have value, well you know, wouldn't have patience yeah. <laughs> but the to rely on the report of the patient as rigorous data is challenging because there are t- there is research that shows negative uh, essentially outcomes objective outcomes in the wrong direction positive patient outcomes or sub- positive subjective outcomes so they don't always match right so Which the individual reality and account. the objective reality or the obligate reality don't cross well right yeah. there are times when they do cross but there's also evidence that there's times when they don't, right? So to not acknowledge that and say, well, the patient likes it. It's like, well, look, Jimmy likes it. <laughs> it's like, okay, Jimmy likes it, but Jimmy also likes nuts and gum in the same can. <laughs> it's like sure, sure it's an interesting experience, but it seems to adulterate the experience of both. Right? So it's like, you know, feel what you like, but don't expect it to, to map well everywhere. So, you see these themes, right? Inconsistent epistemology using functional anatomy and allopathic disease classifications early on to classify reality, but then moving more towards patient experience to classify reality. What's the most important? Well, the patient experience. Well, yeah, the patient experience does matter, right? However, if there's no objective change for the patient, they just like it. So, it's like they like you, but they're not having clinically efficacious help. Right? So you see these challenges, and then some degree, of pre- varying degrees of prejudice towards other professions. And then what you see, what you can then relate that to or consider is the claims that osteopathy makes with respect to particular approaches and particular methods, or the mechanistic claims, how something works. Right? When you attempt to examine those claims, so the osteopathic practitioner will claim it works like this, right, so the primary respiratory mechanism, so the 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 respiration of life or the breath of life that, it, that has cyclic and palpable, uh, palpable phenomenon that cycle approximately, I believe it's 8 to 15 times a minute, right? So 8 to 15 times a minute is one claim that I've seen. I, there may be other claims as far as the actual cycle rate, but it's independent of thoracic respiration, right? That's the claim. So when you make that claim, well, we can test that. Okay, first is it palpable? Okay, well something's palpable, but is that a respiratory or a cyclic thing that is independent of thoracic respiration? Okay, well, thoracic respiration depending on the person, six to twelve, six to fourteen, six to fifteen cycles a minute. There's this really superficial overlap. You're like, okay, well, if it's independent, why do they cycle why is the claim of cycle very similar? So when you actually test it out, no, that whatever primary respiratory mechanism you might think is occurring, what is more notable, right? So you can say it's cerebrospinous fluid pulsing, right? But what's more notable is thoracic respiration at a cycle of 6 to 15, 6 to 12, however, however whatever paper you read that will claim it. And then the other thing that you see, have you seen that Functional MRI that goes around of the brainstem and the pulsation. Yes, recently actually. Okay, did you see it from the Huberman Lab podcast? No, not okay. So it's I think the MRI itself is from Stanford, and Andrew Huberman has put it on his social media, and the one that you usually see is sped up. Okay. It's usually sped up because it looks pretty dramatic, mm. right? And they say it's in relation to thoracic respiration or re- or breathing. So the change in cavity size will move a lot of things. Ribs, vertebrae, uh, it'll move the thoracic wall, the abdominal wall, right? The changes in pressure are driven by that change in, in size of cavity, right? And that's muscular. And then that will move the vertebrae. Because it moves the vertebrae in step with the respiratory cycle, you could then, now this isn't absolutely a perfect correlation as proven in, in, uh, in written literature or observed literature, but what you could say is I can then predict because cerebrospinous fluid is a low pressure system and would probably benefit from muscular pump, I could predict that there's at least some degree to which respiration drives cerebral fluid movement. I can predict that. Now, do I have something offhand that I can prove that with or that has attempted to falsify that and not falsified it? Not right now. Uh, my memory bank doesn't have that in it, but that's a prediction you can make. So more likely the thing that you're palpating is thoracic respiration right you're not palpating a low pressure fluid pulsing just about lockstep with thoracic respiration it's just not likely so when you examine that claim it doesn't hold up it's falsified immediately so the claims of the claims of cranial osteopathy are falsified almost immediately upon any examination so then you get you can generate the claim science can't measure osteopathy because I know for sure it's happening. It's like you started in the wrong place. You started being sure you were correct. You te- your t- claim was tested. You were falsified. So then you say, "Well, they suck."
0: Which <laughs> I think we, we, we just that statement alone can be spread across many. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's not yeah.
1: it, it's unique. It's not unique to a profession. It seems human.
0: Yeah. Right. Because if someone's taking it's almost like a personal claim. Sure. And as you said out there. I'm just going to be repeating it. But That's fine. Judging that, yes, now science or another outside form of measurement can't possibly look at what I'm doing or understand yeah. what I'm doing.
1: Because I obviously know that it's correct and you just suck because you're not as awesome as me. I politely say it as a personal claim, but yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so you see this and you see, you can observe it. You cannot necessarily, or I cannot, intone intention but I can observe the process, right? Science can measure measurable things. And science isn't one thing, it's many things. It's, a, it's essentially an overarching concept that helps you figure out how to observe and interpret, right? It's, it's how to ask a question and how to figure out the answer to the question, right? So it's, a, it's an inter- interrogative process or an interrogative. I don't know how English I'm supposed to sound. you <laughs> will take both. <laughs> <It's>, yeah, whatever. <laughs> The So you see this process, not intoning intention, not intoning malice or anything other than good faith, you see why it doesn't hold up, right? Or you can see the relationship between steps and, and how it can't hold up, right? What I generally would suggest is understand epistemology, so how to... How to build knowledge. What can be known? Who can it be known by? How can it be known? And that essentially includes having an observation, forming a question, which would predict possible ranges of outcomes, testing it in a way that should cut it, cut it down. And if it gets cut down, well, can't trust it, need new prediction, right? But if you can't cut it down, you increase your confidence that it's correct, right? So be better at science. Don't just say science sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my general my general suggestion to the profession of osteopathy is that knowledge has basically been built on personal interpretation of observed things. Well, that's one way to do it, but it has major limits. Your Whoever did that interpretation is the limit, right? Just as in this osteopathic history project, I am the limit, right? The, but there's some degree to which the resource is also the limit, right? So the resource is the resource. Many things can be done with it, or the resources are stable. I'm the unstable variable, if that makes sense. No, it does, yeah. Right, so the... It's like the text can't change. Now. Yeah, so if you look at the foundations of osteopathic medicine, which is a commonly used textbook in many, many places, what they note is that, say, early 1900s, 1920s, there, and this is in there, and this is in the video series, this would be video seven that this occurs in, there's a quote that from there that says, the cellular, cellular biology was showing that cellular biology had major relationships to health and disease states, right? So you could interpret reality through cellular biology very accurately. So you see something happening in the cell, there's health and disease, right? That's, that's the relationship. So the osteopathic professionals early on in the 1900s, 1910s, 1920s, 1930s saw this. And they said, well, no, we believe that there is mechanical correlates to health and disease states. So when the mechanics are wrong, there's something wrong. So what they did was say, we'll marry our concept with that one. Because everybody obviously sees cellular biology is this big deal. Mm-hmm. Well, it's only when the mechanics of the cell are wrong, right? And then they've made this philosophical set of statements, right? You know, uh, normal structure is, re- is required for normal function of the cell. Abnormal, function will lead, abnormal structure of the cell will lead to abnormal function of the cell, right? So it's like, okay, well, those are truisms. You didn't try to prove it wrong. Are there situations in which a cell can be abnormally structured and still function appropriately? Right, that's a simple question. So if you f- if you find that, then no. The co- claim that there's always mechanical correlates to health and disease states falls apart, right? It's falsified. So what I would say is that there's also a term uh, a priori, right? that which can be known without sensing. In osteopathy, the a priori statement is there are mechanical correlates to health and disease states. You don't have to sense it, you know it. D- have you ever had that impression? Right. So it's like, well, the gross motion is fine, but you know, it's the, it's the motion between cells. That's the problem. It's like, I can't palpate that. I can't identify
0: that. So what do I have to work and, on? And the reason I agree is because I've, I've heard it from both ends of the spectrum. Sure. Right. W- within the profession. Sure. So, yeah.
1: So you're, again, you're relying on personal experience, obviously nothing wrong with that. As long as we understand and agree on the constraint of that. Right. The and even if we don't, I mean, it's gonna happen anyway, so I don't have to agree with anything, it's gonna happen. <laughs> I can just be grumpy in a corner, <laughs> whatever. But the God damn old brain, where was I? Constraints, cell cells, ah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> change the shape of the cell and it changes how it functions. It's like, well, there's mechanotransduction, right? So, mechanotransduction is you, is essentially the study of how cells. Change mechanical information into function or into output, right? And and there's a legit field there, right? So osteopathy will then say, well, that's it, that's it, that's what proves it. It's like, but you didn't try to figure out what the hell they're actually saying, right? Yeah, there's changes in function with changes in shape and changes in pressure. Like, yeah, but that's normal. It's completely normal, right? And we can actually predict what it's going to be to within a range, right? It does, but it doesn't always mean that it creates disease. It creates change. It doesn't necessarily create disease. Right? And it's like, well, given long enough, it creates disease. Right, If you're stuck in that posture for 20 years, you're definitely gonna have lung problems. It's like, okay, I don't know if I have that long to wait. <laughs> and also, because it's one of many possible outcomes, maybe it doesn't happen. Right? It's like, well, people in scoliosis, when the scoliosis progresses to a certain degree, they crush their thoracic organs and die. It's like, yeah, but not everybody has scoliosis. So if the a priori consideration is that there's always a mechanical correlate to health and disease states, you never detect when it's not the case. So it's a method of building knowledge or relating all things to that piece of meaning that doesn't allow for its ability to be falsified. It only ever allows for it to not be proven false because it's always there. Mm. Even if I can't sense it, it's there. So if you can't prove it wrong, it cannot be proven right. It's just assumed to be correct. So I would say that that assumption is central to the challenges that I personally have with the knowledge claims of the profession, right? So it's assuming that it's always this way without ever testing. And when you test it and it doesn't fit your model, just saying you're right anyways. I'm not a fan of that. Now, again, whether I'm a fan or not, it's going to occur.
0: (laughs) It's almost kind of like, it's kind of brings up the point of, you you kind of seek like a natural progression to think. Who, me? I think you. Okay. I, maybe
1: I would use the term iterative. So learn something and then learn something else from that newly learned point. And also I have an underlying observation that even if I'm on the right track, there's probably at least some portion of me that's incorrect to some degree. So accepting that and saying, okay, now I actually have to learn more. I have to look a little farther. Otherwise I'm just a fool who is convinced I'm a genius right like i i'm i could be a fool who's convinced i'm a little smart i could be a person who's really smart who, who's convinced i'm a little bit of a fool it's actually hard to be sure right the uh, the point of observation being me observing myself is horrible right it's like it's difficult to to observe the milky way or sorry yeah the milky way our galaxy it's yeah. difficult to observe our galaxy because we're in it yeah it is. right so we can kind of use proxies to see the center of our galaxy and we can develop good understandings, but it's harder to see the center of our galaxy. It's easier to see the center of another galaxy.
0: Right. Off topic, but just because you said that, I had someone come in trying to tell me how they finally had imaging from outside our universe, like a device has traveled outside our universe. And I had to correct, I think maybe you mean solar system, yeah. probably. Yeah, yeah, And they were very convinced, like, no, no, we're outside the universe. They go, the universe.
1: <laughs> like the whole thing?
0: Yeah, that's was, that, was, that was their the interpretation. Universe. Not the, the galaxy. The universe. Not the galaxy. So okay. The universe containing many galaxies. Okay. I
1: think that's just a word thing.
0: That That's yeah. precisely what it was. and then yeah. I let them get away with it because they just wouldn't agree with me. But okay. uh, the re- when I go back to the comment on progression, not just mm-hmm. for you personally, but I think in any kind of discussion. Sure. So even I just did a light reference earlier to some of the other modalities that I'm trying to make connections with. Mm-hmm. It's also for my own learning and for theirs because I, I also want them to know where. Our profession stance. Yeah,
1: you're trying to make relationships.
0: relationships. Exactly. Yeah. So, I'm strong where you're weak. And so, if, for example, with what you're saying here, maybe the science doesn't back it up or it doesn't relate to the claim.
1: That's more uh, accurate. Just yeah. to say, well then, science
0: can't understand our field. That just feels like a block to progression. Because yeah. to me, there's more room to yeah. have a further discussion or interpret things further or I, uh, test yeah. further, as you said. It. I'd
1: agree. So I think what it what it what it really if you were to attempt to use a frame to observe it and and describe it, it's an insistence on a particular form of epistemology or a particular theory of knowledge building mm-hmm. which won't accept that others exist. Right? So my okay, not mine, but Uh, the osteopathic view of knowledge building is it does seem to be more constructivist. It does seem to be more dependent on the individual, such that using something that's decontextualized, so constructivism versus positivism, something that attempts to decontextualize. When you use a method that attempts to decontextualize and test the claim of the individual in osteopathy, it doesn't hold up. It gets falsified. The claim gets falsified fast. So they're like, oh, I can't measure it, right? So here's, I probably said this to you, I believe I may have said this on the podcast, but I say it a lot, so I have no idea where I've said it. I've said it a lot of places. But cranial osteopathy shows no clinical, or sorry, diagnostic reliability or clinical efficacy, right? So if you do a meta-analysis on the, on the available research, it's like there's no signal there. It's not doing what it says it does. But here's the challenge with that. It's research on research. So the research on cranial osteopathy sucks. Yeah. Right? Which means that you can't get a signal of what it's doing when you anal- analyze the research. So what I would use that to say, so some people could use that as like, you know, a bright shining cloud and saying, see, we could be right. (laughs) No, what I'm saying is that the research sucks, so you can't get any signal out of the research. And what I would tend to observe is that the claims that cranial osteopathic practitioners make, they're easily falsifiable on claim. So they're trying to make a claim of how it works and what it's doing falsified, no problem, easy to do, right? That doesn't mean nothing's happening. So cranial osteopathic methodologies in practice may be doing something good. It's just the claims that are made are easily falsifiable. So maybe a better way to do it is start with a broad observation, say, okay, let's look at a bunch of cranial osteopathic practitioners. What do they do? What's the same about what they do? So you identify the theme. Once you identify the theme of what they do, you can figure out ways to interrogate that. So to use a qualitative, approach or a quantitative approach, right? So we can start to figure it out. They started with claim first and attempted to prove claim correct. And claim is falsified without issue. It's not difficult to do. So they just went about it wrong. So osteopathy doesn't have a particularly strong research backing because of the way that they attempted to build the knowledge. If you do it a different way, We'll see what it's actually doing. We'll see the we'll see the strengths, the weaknesses, the limits. Uh, so where it's going to be very useful and where it's going to be less useful. It's 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 a tedious process, it's a long process, especially because we have this culture and history that has momentum behind it. It's like no, I just interpreted because I know anatomy. It's like yeah, other people know anatomy much better than you. They're called anatomists. <laughs> And that's the thing. It's like oh, I've I've heard other professionals or pr- people from other professions say, osteopathic people uh, they they're the like the premier anatomists in the world. I'm like they don't dissect anything. <laughs> they're not looking at anatomy. They're looking at living and bodies. If, and if they did, that was a long time. Ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, they did. Yeah. They did. Long Most long of us don't. <laughs> osteopathic physicians in America will often have cadaver opportunities when they're being trained. And then they sub-specialize, right? So some of them are surgeons. So some of them are experts at knees. Do you think for some, it's
0: just um, on the topic of this? They're, they're just concerned, like osteopathy as they know it might change. I,
1: again, I can't in, I, I can't know. intone intentionality exactly. uh, or desire. I can observe things. Uh, so maybe your observation. Maybe. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. I don't know everybody. Yeah. I can't possibly know all osteopathic practitioners. I'm only one man. <laughs> so maybe. Right. I, I actually based on how my mind works and how I function, I can't make a prediction on that. Right? If I'm a grumpy guy in a corner, I can say something, I can give you an opinion, but it's fucking useless. Right? Like, oh yeah, his opinion was right after he died. <laughs>
0: Whatever, man. But kinda sounds like like maybe put less weight into opinion and overall do better research if able.
1: That's where I would land. Yeah. But does that mean I'm right? No, it doesn't. It just means that that's what I'm doing, Yeah. right? So if you observe me, that's what I'm doing. The correctness or incorrectness is up to, up to time and rigor to judge, right? So I've undertaken the Osteopathic History Project to look at primary sources <clears throat> and then say, listen, I'm showing you the receipts, I'm showing you how this happened, I'm observing it, and then I'm putting an interpretive spin by using the, the constraint package or the framing of the philosophy of science and those concepts, and this is what we can see. Right, so osteopathy has a problem with its research base because it's not good at research, right? It's also, in America, it's a primary care specialty. Uh, In America, not all that many people do the hands-on work. So where you have the highest degree of rigor in a system, they don't do the hands-on much, Mm -hmm. right? They do all kinds of surgeries, cardiac, uh, cardiac specialties, ER specialists, right? They subspecialize, So they're gonna have a very strong research base there but because less people do the hands-on work in America where the highest degree of rigor happens to yeah. live, you're gonna have less stuff. When you go to Australia, which has its osteopathic schools housed in universities, where there, you would expect some degree of rigor, you find lecturers, at least a small sample, are more interested in constructivism, personal interpretation, and the experience of the patient. Right? So what you would be able to predict from that is that they're just less interested in rigor. Right? And they like qualitative research. They, they suggest that we do qualitative research. Right, nothing wrong with qualitative research because quality is a measure of, or it's a description of something that can be measured. Right, a measurement is a qualitative statement. So an inch is a quality. Right, it's it's a quantitative interpretation of a quality. Right, so um, a pencil can be an inch long. Uh, the you know a toe can be an inch long. A hair can be an inch long. These are all very different things, but they share a similar characteristic. Right, they share a similar quality. They're an inch. So people are like, oh, quantitative versus qualitative. I'm like, no, they're the same goddamn thing. It's just a different description.
0: Okay. Kind of goes back to earlier, the tundra versus the desert. Yes. At nighttime
1: temperature. <laughs> is how how pretty- you classify. Yeah. So your classification system, the categories that you use to describe each thing in its own right or of its, of its own merit matters. So again, a toe, a pencil, a hair can all be an inch long. You can have an inch long ruler, right? They're all an inch but they're clearly different. What do we need? Another category (laughs) to describe it of its own merit so that until we can identify the differences, right? So the scientific process or the scientific method broadly allows for good questions and investigative methods. What I would say is that osteopathy just made statements based on what they already knew, right? It didn't necessarily have good questions or use uh, rigorous methods that people would appreciate. So really what I'm making more the case of is the positivist, the person who believes in the objective reality that can be identified with appropriate experimentation. But I would probably be best described as a post-positivist as as I said before. I do believe that the researcher screws it up. The researcher does add a context that makes it harder or keeps you further away from that objective reality. And I'm fine with that. I have no problem with that. And also I think the methods of constructivists are perfectly fine. Right? Especially for particular questions. Right? So I think they all have their place. And I think you should be understanding that they exist. I think you should be good at utilizing them. Or if you're not good at utilizing them, find somebody who is good at utilizing them. And working with them so that you can find better or a broader understanding of how things work. You are doing this by accident by engaging other professionals. You're using an iterative approach with many methods. So I think you're awesome. <laughs> at least there I mean shoot <laughs> I think to some on
0: that note and everything it's just it's about just being aware
1: yeah but your awareness is limited by what you already know so I mean I don't know if you start with saying if I don't try, know everything. try to be aware on your limitations I mean. yeah well again point of observation it's a problem <laughs> I, I know that I'm the limit but I don't know what that limit is mm-hmm. it's only how much I suck today okay <laughs> but tomorrow I might suck less mm-hmm. It's likely, that's <laughs> so I'm like, I'm a constantly evolving limit. <laughs> I think that's everyone. I, I would say it is. That's right. Yeah. Um, do you have any other projects? So uh, at the moment I'm, I, I get annoyed about stuff. So I'm like, well, screw you guys. I'll prove it. <laughs> or like, I'll, I'll go through the process and show you what it is and then whatever. So I'm clipping historical techniques out of varying authors and I'm filming them so I'll show you the clip like I'll show you the actual written description and then I'll show you the the method now I have a system of heuristics that describe how osteopathic technique is generated and performed right so those are all available on the YouTube channel they're much older videos now it's actually been a surprising amount of time since I put those up when I look at it I'm like oh that many years eh (laughs) it's like three years ago now but you know patient positioning Uh, relational motion, broad contact for multi-point discrimination, contact as control, stuff like that. Those heuristics that we sort of touched on before. That's all available, but I'll show you the actual technical application that the historical author describes. And then I will also relate that to why I don't know if it was the best way to do it, but I'll interpret that through the heuristics that I've used. And heuristics being search patterns that provide the opportunity to generate solutions as opposed to an algorithm, an algorithm provides a pattern that gar- claims to guarantee a solution. Humans are different enough, I don't know about guarantees. Right? I like search patterns, hmm. right? I prefer them. Does it mean I'm right? Nope, it just means it's what I do. <laughs> it has its uses though. For me, Yeah. right? And when, it's, when I start to run up into a limit, I'm like, ah, I gotta change
0: again. <laughs> For anyone interested, now on the Unscholored Health website, mm-hmm. I believe we have a link to your content.
1: Actually. Oh, sweet! So people, because I always screw up. <laughs> <you> through there, <laughs>
0: or you can just look at S Jam. Is it 1981?
1: I think it's 81. 81. I don't see that now. You or know what the problem just, is? You can just go to the link. Go to the website. link. Go to the link yeah. on the Unscolded Health what, podcast website. Yeah. Because I've screwed it up so much. That your semantic network includes screwing no, it up. Because I, I literally just tried to reference what you said last time. It's like, Yeah. No, that's not. That's not good. <laughs> yeah. No, don't do that. Because it, it's one of those deals where the repeated behavior yeah. of screwing up means it's harder to be right. Because mm-hmm. the most learned behavior is screwing up the link. <laughs> and that's what I've. That's what I've engendered in myself. That's what I've entrenched. Like it's literally my own YouTube channel. I interact with it in a way that it's mine, so I don't. Ha- I don't care what it's yeah. named. Like, shit. Well, for anyone
0: listening, you can Google Sam Jarman or you go to unscholarhealth.com Look for the photo of him
1: poking a plush toy. Yes. It's and a large, it's a large beanie bad. baby. Uh, I think it's a... Was it a unicorn? It's unicorn-like. It's, I think it's like a unicat or like a unikitty. Sure. I think so. That's weird. Yeah, no, whatever. It's not a pegacorn. <laughs> Do you even know what a pegacorn is? I don't know what a pegacorn is. It's like a pegasus uh-huh. with a horn. Well, this is delightful. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a fly, yeah. it's a pegacorn, man. You're not around enough kids. <laughs> not yet, I guess. <laughs> That's fair. At least, not, yeah, not right yeah. now. Not of the, as of this moment. Um, but the, I think the, the main takeaway is that the manner in which osteopathy built its knowledge, if you trace it through primary sources, it's questionable. And it also allows you to describe the state of knowledge within the profession mm-hmm. and fairly straightforward ways in which you could get better. At least in my opinion, and I think, that's or in my proven, <laughs> <laughs> or my attempt to
0: falsify. I got who cares. And I think that's fair because even just uh, here in our location, mm-hmm. uh, there are varying thoughts or ways it's taught and yep. concepts. So yeah,
1: yeah, variability is not never variability is rarely a problem. Variability is usually a strength. Mm-hmm. So if you just dis- if you're all the same, if everything's the same, then it's very easy to kill it all off with the selection pressure. Right. So evolutionarily speaking, so. Let's just say have you heard about what's happening with bananas? No. There's a blight on bananas or there was. So basically we force we force produced or, or, or for, yeah force grew a particular form of banana because it's the right size and the right color and the right sweetness right Whereas there's a bunch of other naturally occurring bananas, some of which are much smaller, have way more seeds are not as sweet right but we force produced this and it's the, it's the most available one all over the world and a blight hits it so basically there's almost no like there could be no more bananas. Mm-hmm because the selection, everything's so similar that it can't find a solution, right? So variation allows you to likely find the solution. So if you look at, say, a range of presentation, right? So what you have statistically, like you kind of see a bell curve, right? The vast majority of things are in the middle, right? Then you have the outliers on the tails, right? The outliers are the ones who are probably gonna figure out the solution to a selection pressure or something that's gonna kill you, but they're also weirdos right? So the people in the middle are not as likely to figure out because they're so similar to each other. They're much more similar to one another. And they're the majority of people. They're less likely to figure out the solution to the problem, to the novel problem than the weirdos, right? So usually what you have is the weirdos are saying weird things and like, ah, just shut up. But often they're maybe identifying the right phenomenon that everybody who's very similar can't see. However, they're also weirdos. (laughs) So it's like, you have to engage the weirdo to some degree not necessarily think that they're absolutely correct but maybe they're pointing in the right direction well they just they might just have another lens yeah that's Sorry. what i'm saying yeah exactly yeah. and then maybe the way they express it it's <laughs> scary oh! <laughs> who knows right but they're the ones who are probably going to save us hmm. but in in times where we don't need to be saved they're just weird yeah <laughs> so the variation is fine having variable approaches to the profession is not an issue because it's more likely to find the proper solution but it's not it doesn't seem to be doing anything right now. It just seems to be creating situations where you're creating tribalism and I'm better than you and you suck balls like I don't know. <laughs> like possibly hairy goat balls. Like know.
0: competition. The competition may not be needed. Possibly. Possibly.
1: Competition is a is a very observable naturally occurring phenomenon everywhere. Mm. Right? So whether it's needed or not, it's gonna happen. And it's probably useful for something. So maybe getting your competitive reps in before the selection pressure is a good thing, so you're ready when the selection pressure comes. All right, but guess what? You never know if you're getting the right reps in until you get punched in the face. <laughs> You've been punched in the face several times professionally. <laughs> and that's how you know whether you're doing a good job or not. Yeah. Or, you know, it's the, so here's the deal: like you could be doing a good job. It's just the person that you're doing a good job against does it different. <laughs> like crap I put my hand in the right place they just hit me somewhere else (laughs) so it's yeah that variation is useful and you never know if your your variability is the best one until the selection pressure comes so your variability might be the best one for a different selection pressure
0: any other final thoughts for our listeners today Sam?
1: no I said a lot of stuff
0: okay (laughs) until next time everyone yeah I show my receipts Sam tries to show his receipts no I do Tries to show his respect. Of- I do. He does. He does. <laughs> God damn it! Take care, everyone.